You're listening to Decidedly Dry. I'm your host, Jess Steitzer. This is a sober podcast where we actually focus on the good. Amazing, right? We spark inspiration. We try to provide some hope and we help motivate you. I promise to always keep it real, provide some dry humor, and remind you every single episode why sobriety is truly a superpower. If you'd like to learn more about the show or make a donation, just head on over to decidedlydry.com. Thank you so much for pushing play today. Let's get started. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. My guest this week is Jen Hurst. Jen has been sober since April of 2013, and she guides women struggling with alcohol on how to implement healthy habits to manage stress and to forge a sustainable path to recovery. Throughout her nine years living alcohol-free, she values the importance of taking care of all aspects of your health and sobriety on a consistent basis, your physical health and your mental health. Jen preaches that exercise is the best medicine, and by moving your body, you can actually change your mind. She resides in Minnesota with her husband and her two children. All right, before we get to our chat, I want to send a huge thank you to Caitlin and also to Maggie. You guys showed your love for the pod by donating on our website, and I just want you to know how much I appreciate your support. The show takes a lot of work, and receiving donations from time to time really does help tremendously, so thank you. All right, you guys, here is my chat with Jen Hurst. Enjoy. Welcome back, everybody. This is Jess with Decidedly Dry, and today I have Jen. Hi, Jen. Hello. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. I am just excited to have you here, and I think I've said this a million times because I've had a lot of the same guests from my Instagram lives way back in the day, and so yeah. it's kind of like a reunion. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I know. And it's so good to to see you to see you again, because we see each other on social media. And it's so fun to see each other, even in real life, too. Like if you get together at a conference or something, because you already know so much about the other person that Absolutely. when we do meet, it's just like meeting up with old friends. Yeah. And I think that's one of the beauties of social media is the ability to connect and to hear someone's story and to get to know them in a new way without um, having to live close to them. I think it's such a great tool for people looking to get sober, for people in sobriety, for people just in general, if you use it the right way. Absolutely. Yes. Oh my gosh. So, so true. So yeah, it's just like seeing an old friend. So this is so fun. Um, (laughs) Well, we're going to just jump on in. Um, I know we were laughing before I was saying, you know, you've probably never told your, your story. Um, Absolutely not. (laughs) But let's just start out by kind of introducing listeners to who you are. So maybe just let them know who you are, if you have kids, where you live, all that good stuff. Yes. So my name is Jen Hurst and I am nine years sober. I am the mother of two little humans uh, from Thief River Falls, Minnesota. My kids are six and eight. And if you don't know where Thief River Falls is, it's about an hour from Canada. So we are way up north, Um, but I love it. We moved to the country last year and I've always been a city person. I was like, I'm going to move to New York. I'm going to live that big city life. And I did. And realized I'm not the same person as I was when I was 21 and out here. So I went back, married my husband, had a couple kids. He moved me out to the country and I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, I'm a brand manager for a fitness company uh, called Fitness On Demand. And I'm also a beach body coach. 
and a sober coach on the side. So I coach uh, women not only on how to get sober, but how to stay sober through group coaching and courses and also private coaching. And I feel like I didn't really get that aspect when I went through this process 10 years ago. And when I went to inpatient treatment and outpatient treatment of really how to live with this new change in my day-to-day life. It was all about, okay, this is what happened in my past, but how do I go to a party or how do I go to an event and not feel so awkward? Or what do I say to people? Like, how do I approach and get prepared for an event? Because that's really a lot of half the battle is just making sure you're prepared to go out. So I really like to give so many tactile, tangible tools that apply to real life, living sober. And what does that look like? How can you feel good now? And how can you work to start to feel good from the foods you eat to moving your body to a morning routine to stress management? I think these are all different areas of sobriety that really compound into, again, achieving and feeling good in our day-to-day life. So we don't feel so bogged down and overwhelmed and burned out where it triggers us to want to reach for that. So uh, I really love group coaching because it really, it puts you in a group automatically and you get to do this with other women who are all doing the same thing. And I think that's what we all need is connection. So absolutely. Yeah. So fun. And I was just sitting here nodding my head, I think through that whole thing. And, you know, it was funny the way you explained it it reminded me a little bit of motherhood, how like they prep us like all the way up until (sighs) you have the baby and you feel so ready and prepared. And then it's like, well, now what, (laughs) you know, like, Like, how do I deal with little to no sleep? Right. How do I eat and prepare foods and still take care of myself Yeah, and maybe asking for some help? Right. You know? And how so similar to sobriety where it's like, yeah. okay, we can tell you kind of how to remove it. We can give you tips and stuff. But then once you're there, it's like, okay, well, how do I maintain, maintain? What do I do yeah. now? How do I stay and that's the sober? Main thing, staying sober. And that, that was a lot of the messages I received was women who could do periods of sobriety. You know, I did three months or I did six months or I had a month and then I, I something always happens and I go back and I can't seem to get it to stick. Mm-hmm. And so that is really where I like to focus of not just practicing things when things, can I swear on this? Totally. When shit hits the fan <laughs> or when things get hard, but practicing things in the on season, in mm-hmm. the off season, should I say, of when things are going good. I want us to start implementing tools so if we're looking ahead towards the holidays, we can be stressful with family, lots of drinking. Why don't you do start doing the prep work now? Not saying we need to freak out, but start implementing some really good tools of taking care of yourself now so you're in a better position It when and if those tough times come, which they will. You're Mm going to get stuff that happens, stuff that happens and throws a curveball. But if you practice these things, practice these habits, you're going to be in a better position to better manage it when it comes up because you're in a better place Mm -hmm. because you've not doing things. Because if you wait until things get hard, it's already too late Mm -hmm. and you're just using those tools. And I really, really like to hone on consistency Mm -hmm. and doing those things of, and these don't have to be big things. They can be really, really small things, but doing what you, what makes you feel good 
and taking care of yourself uh, with these these habits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So true. So yeah. so good. All right. Well, let's let's go back. Let's talk about your history with alcohol. Where I mean, uh, I want to talk about all the things you're doing here, but how did you get here? So, what's yeah. your history with alcohol? When did you start, and when did maybe that relationship kind of start to shift? Yeah, I really like to start my story saying that looks are deceiving. I justified my drinking for many years because I didn't look like your typical alcoholic. Um, I kept it hidden for many years and I didn't get help because I was so nervous of that. And I thought I could always control it. Um, I thought I, you know, I thought I needed to become someone else. And throughout my childhood, I always thought there was something wrong with me. I was raised in a perfectionist family. I raised, was raised from great parents. They, I got good grades. I, you know, they were very loving. They barely drank, but I always felt there was something wrong with me that I could never be good enough. Nothing, whatever, whatever I did was never good enough. So I kind of developed this mentality into my adulthood. And I had my first drink at 15. My parents were out of town. They, I don't know why, but they had this huge liquor cabinet, but they never drank, you know, and, I, and I'm just like, why, like, why do you have all this? It's like 50 years old. But, uh, but yeah, I just had a great experience first time and it didn't really start escalating. I just did kind of normal drinking in high school. I wasn't addicted right off the gate. Um, but it was when my second boyfriend wanted to go on a break. And I believe I was 21 at the time. And that was really the turning point. Mm-hmm. where it became, it was just for fun, college drinking at parties to when he wanted to go on a break, my mind went, oh my God, I do not want to have to go through that heartbreak again of losing my first love. And so I was living with some guys at the time and they were, they would all do Adderall. Mm-hmm. They'd go on these Adderall binges. And I said, I'm not doing that. I don't do drugs, which is so <laughs> funny to say now because alcohol <laughs> is a drug, but little did I know what I was doing. Uh, so I took it and they said, Hey, you take this and you're going to feel like God, Hmm. you're going to feel amazing. And I said, and at that point I said, what the hell? I, I feel so crappy. I would do anything. So I did. And I had an amazing night. I dyed my hair. I said, this is the best night ever. I stayed up all night. And then the crash happened, but it ingrained and planted a seed within me that said, okay, well, I can take away what I'm feeling with something else. Mm-hmm. So I started to drink uh, when when things got hard or I, I started to drink and I would started to, uh, you know, sleep with guys that I didn't intend to sleep with because I was drunk and mm-hmm. I would try to earn love and drink and and try to have these guys like me and sleep with them. I mean, this is getting really raw and honest. <laughs> <laughs> but I would try to do that. And deep down, it was just breaking me. And mm-hmm. um, so it really ter- started with pain and heartbreak. And then it really, I started using it as a crutch over time to kind of, anytime life get, got hard, I would drink and I would drink. So I got my first DWI in 2005, New Year's Day or New Year's Eve, should I say. Um, and you think that would be a wake up call. Um, but it wasn't. My dad was a lawyer. And uh, after that, I got a boyfriend. I got, I kind of straightened out for a little bit. I would always, uh, before going on a date, I would get really nervous. And so I would drink before going on a date. And I would kind of use alcohol for my nerves Mm -hmm. of being scared of to 
to call someone to uh, before going to a party. And I remember I went out to New York and I wanted to lose weight. So I started taking sleeping pills and that kind of replaced my drinking for a while. And it was just this, this endless thing of using alcohol to cope. And in reality, it started to create anxiety within me. Mm -hmm. And so it started to uh, not sleep at night and I would start to have heart palpitations. And so I got put on anxiety meds and I went to psych wards and things like that. And it was really the year leading up to my wedding with my now boyfriend or my now husband, the year leading up to my wedding where everything really came Hmm. ramped up, my drinking ramped up. So until then it was here and there, I would, you know, feel, start feel shame and regret, but really from 2010 to 2011, I was working full-time. I had a full-time freelance position designing for a magazine. I was doing my wedding by myself and I was working nonstop. So I would drink to manage the stress and anxiety that I, what I was doing. And I would drink to have fun because I was by myself working all the time to try to make things work. And I drove myself into, it was just a destruction. And I went from drinking, you know, occasionally to drinking every single day, I would try to moderate my drinking. I said, okay, if I can go five days without drinking, I'm not an alcoholic and I can do this. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't do it. And I started, you know, to get shakiness a little bit. And it, I started even, I looked for an Adderall dealer a couple of weeks before the wedding. Cause I said, I don't know how I can get all of this done. I have so much to do. And so I said, I know the one way I can get this done is to take Adderall. Mm-hmm. So I was taking Adderall. I was drinking at night and I was mixing the two. And so on my wedding day, and that's why I say my before and after pictures, are of my wedding day. And I was smiling. I looked like a great bride. I was a size two. I put on my smiling face, but if you knew exactly what I was doing, I blacked out the night before I cut my, my foot on some glass that broke from our vases. I chugged some vodka in the morning to get through it. And I took some Adderall to get through the day to appear normal. And I said to myself, just make it through today. And then The thing here is my husband had no idea what was going on. I was so good at hiding it and Mm -hmm. he would go out and do his things. And he was, he's fantastic. He would ask how he could help people who would ask how they could help. And I said, no, I don't want to put this on you. I'm going to do it myself. I'm a perfectionist. I can do this. I got it all. I got it. I'm superwoman. And uh, it drove me to literally exhaustion. And so two days after my wedding, I collapsed. I, I was around the day drinking, I was in bed and I just said, I don't even care. I can't even do this anymore. And by that point, um, started my process of figuring out what was going on, classifying myself as an alcoholic, going to AA. My husband is like, what the hell is going on? I have no idea about any of this. And all of a sudden you're drinking around the clock. And so you know, driving to AA and I was still drunk. He would take me, I would throw up in the car and I started out with, it's just a really scary time. You know, mm-hmm. 10 years ago, there wasn't all of these great things happening today in the soberverse. So it was AA and treatment. So mm-hmm. I started with outpatient. That didn't work. I was, my drinking had escalated to a point where it was getting really scary, where mm-hmm. A month after my wedding, we had to, um, I had to get my new picture taken because my name changed and I had to do all these things and I couldn't even fill out 
my license form because my hands were shaking so bad. So I had to go home and drink, fill it out, then come back the next day, the very last day, still drunk, take my picture, my eyes are swollen, and just do that. And so it took me a good uh, 11 months to admit I needed inpatient treatment after, you know, going to inpatient or going to outpatient, doing AA, relapsing, went into inpatient at Hazleton and stayed for 30 days, relapsed the day after, because I still had this inkling that I'm just going to drink one more time. Yeah. Just one more time. And it, it was so bad. So I went back to their, uh, extended care stay for 60 days. Um, and I know this is a long story, but in this process, it wasn't until I got my second DWI February 14th of 2013, because me and my husband were trying to figure things out. I was laid off from my job because I was not showing up because over time I had this, this feeling of, you know, I'm not as bad. I still have my job. So I can, I don't have a problem. I still have my job. See, I'm not that bum under the street. Mm -hmm. Then I lost my job. And then I got my second DWI. And when that happens, consequences are a lot more. I lost my car. I had to do house arrest. I had to blow into a little breathalyzer, all of this stuff. And I started to to really rapidly lose things the more I continued to drink because I didn't know another way out. I felt so low, this person who got good grades, who did all this, and then now I couldn't do this and I didn't know why. And I kept trying to prove to myself that I can control it, that I didn't need help. I could do this and I just couldn't. And it took me, I got my second DWI, uh, April 20, uh, 23rd, I was at my parents' house. I had got kicked out of my house. My husband had set that boundary of, if you drink, you have to leave. Mm. So I was staying with my parents um, at my dad's office. I blacked out. They took me to detox. I blew a 0.34 and I realized there and then that not only did that scare me that I blew a 0.34, but the fact that I'd been doing that for two years, drinking to that extent, and not even that extent, but the fact I mixed in now for the past year, I started trying alternatives to alcohol. So mouthwash, Mouthwash was my drink of choice because I heard that you, there's obviously alcohol in it. I could drink that and then I could just go to Target and not a liquor store and people wouldn't know what I was doing. Hmm. So I would drink that right out of the bottle. I still can't have mouthwash to this day. Even <laughs> if my dentist recommends it, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm going to throw no. up. Yeah. I just too many bad <laughs> memories. I just, even if obviously alcohol free, but nope. Um, so that I tried rubbing alcohol and I was just willing. That's how intense cravings can be. I was willing to go to any length to get my fix. Mm-hmm. And I, I I would try rubbing alcohol, hand sanitizer, anything, just take me out of this feeling. And so it was then and there in detox where I said, I'm done. Yeah. I I had I had I literally thought I was going to have a heart attack my hands are numb. And I I had to take it to that point where I had to admit complete surrender, where I said, I don't know how many days I have left because I'm mixing Adderall and alcohol and it's taking such a, and I'm drinking mouthwash. Right. I don't know how much more my body can take. And so once I made that decision, 
And I stayed there for three days because I think that's like a 72 hour hold. And everything became easier. I had court the next day. I mean, we had to reschedule. Um, I didn't know how my, my parents didn't really want anything more to do with me. They were so didn't know how to help me anymore. My husband didn't want to talk to me. And I started calling homeless shelters. Like I didn't know where to stay. Yeah. And I went to my next inpatient stay at the retreat in Wyzetta, Minnesota. I love it. And did started cleaning up my past. And I just said, as long as I don't drink, I've I know I've dug myself a really big deep hole. But as long as I don't drink, things can't get any worse. Right. I can't get add more problems. So now I need to work on making things right. But the most important thing I need to do is stay sober. Mm-hmm. But once I, I didn't try to play with if, am I going to drink? Am I not going to drink? And I was just done. Everything became so much easier. And I didn't have to have the mental gymnastics of trying to negotiate with something that's not supposed to be moderated. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just had to learn the hard way. <laughs> of right. of getting to that point but i look back in gratitude that i'm glad i'm so glad i was able to get there but man if i can come back from that and rebuild my life and and see this life that i saw before i entered my last treatment to have these two kids that i saw and see this house and see the life i have today i mean it's incredible mm-hmm. um how one decision can change your entire life. And yeah. that's a wrap. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so true though. I mean, it really is. And and thank you. I want to take a moment just to say thank you for being so real and raw and sharing things that, you know, they're your truth. And yeah. sometimes it's hard to say it all out loud, but man, when you look at where you came from and where you are now, I mean, it's so worth it. It's like, yeah. it's so, so worth it. Yeah, to go from having, absolutely, to go from having nothing Mm -hmm. to, you know, I had court dates, house arrest, I had to pay my lawyer, I I got a simple job, I rode my bike to treatment, all of this stuff, but I just said, you know what, just do it one thing at a time, you got to take responsibility, yes, yeah, it's up to me to make things right, and it's not going to be a quick process, it takes a while, but you just do it. Lived with a breathalyzer in my car for two years. All of these humbling, did a day in jail, four months pregnant, and all of these amazing things, just like you said, started to happen. And mm-hmm. that gave me momentum to be like, oh, I, I know I'm on the right path. See, mm-hmm. good things are happening. But if you don't give yourself enough time to actually experience it, like within a few months, we were pregnant. Like it was crazy. I said, there's absolutely no way I'm going to be able to have children. <laughs> Like, and we didn't want to bring children into this world when I was deeply struggling. And so we were like, okay, okay. within a few months, my husband noticed a difference, all of this stuff. And so we, yeah, I was pregnant. I got a great job in my field within a few months. Within six months, I was promoted. And, you know, we just made things work. We drove one car for a while and you just start to make things right. And things Mm -hmm. get so much easier. I mean, mm-hmm. they're not going to be perfect, no. but they're a lot easier when you don't have to clean up the mess that you can't remember. Oh, that's, that's a good so quote. True. It's so mm. true. Write that down. Yeah. Write that down, people. That's um, a good one. All right. Well, big or small, I'd love to know, and I'd love for you to share with listeners, just what were some of the benefits you started seeing when you removed it? 
So you decided enough is enough. I'm done. What did you start noticing? Yeah, um, honestly, more freedom. I felt like a huge weight had been lifted off. I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't trying to fight it. I wasn't trying to play the game. It's just like it, there wasn't even a game. It was off the table. There was no questioning. I was done. Um, obviously, less anxiety. Uh, and now it's crazy because I'm go- tapering off my medication because now I'm questioning, did I even need anxiety meds? Oh, because I was drinking so much that I don't know, but you don't know until you try. So I'm kind of tapering off. It took me 10 years mm. <laughs> or nine years of sobriety to kind of feel ready to like start experimenting with it, with not having it. Um, but, you know, benefits were I was able to have children. I was sleeping better. My God, I was slept. I, um, I saved my marriage. Yeah. Cause he was ready to, he had divorce papers ready if mm-hmm. I were to drink again. And, um, I started showing up for work, right? I started brushing my teeth and I'm saying little things. Cause when you're drinking, you don't take care of yourself of those little things. I did not take brush my teeth. I did not shower. I stayed in bed. I mended my relationships. I, uh, I through, so I practiced the 12 steps in treatment, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, making amends to my parents and my friends and family um, was really a huge benefit of sobriety this time around. And I waited a while for them to understand that I was serious, mm-hmm. like this is it. And I showed that through my actions. I didn't have to tell them I'm sorry. They've heard it a million times. I just showed them that I'm showing up for treatment. I'm showing up to my meetings. I'm showing up to with my parole officer. I'm doing all this stuff. So um, I think just life got easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I it gave me the opportunity. And I can't even say this until recently to start embracing who I am and realizing I didn't need to become someone else. Right. who society thought or taught or the alcohol industry thought I should become with this addictive substance. Mm-hmm. I didn't need to be someone else. I didn't need to be extroverted. I didn't need to be the life of the party. I just need to be myself. And how can I go into that? How can I discover more of who I am and what I like? And I think that's a lifelong process now because you don't have something numbing your prefrontal cortex Mm -hmm. from experiencing something. So if you don't like something or something's not fun, then it's just not fun. And then you try to find something else. And that only comes through experimentation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's so cool about sobriety is that you find what you really actually truly love and you get to really tap into your senses and enjoy the simple things like going on a walk right. or and it may sound corny you guys but it's just kind of we've been oblivious to kind of the beauty that <laughs> sounds so cheesy but like a sunset <laughs> oh, or yeah. like the sunrise yeah. <laughs> or like I saw a deer on the trail I'm like this is so cool you are and speaking the, my oh, language sun shining yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, and in Minnesota, that is a big deal. I'm like, it is such a beautiful day outside. Yeah. I want to, you know, I just feel like it's that Alec Baldwin on Friends when he's like, oh, this is such an amazing place. All these plates and oh, it's so lucky to be alive. But it's true, though. I mean, I'm just hearing you say all that. I mean, and this is going to sound corny, too, but it's like a love story. I mean, it is like this story where you know, the main character 
you know, just turns their life around, you know, and discovers that, you know, who they are inside, like everything is already inside, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and kind of falls in love with themselves again and figures out what brings them joy, who brings them joy and what they really want to do. So absolutely. I'm so glad you mentioned all of that. Absolutely. I'm peeking at my notes. This is about the time where I always glance over. Mm -hmm. I would love to know, um, you know, what's the most important thing in your life right now? And I always have to come and make sure I say, you don't have to say your family. We know you love your kids. We know you love your husband. What, but what is, Mm. what is your thing right now? What are you most excited about or proud about? Oh, I was going to say my kids, <laughs> like my kids, That's the mom I, in us. Yeah. Like, I know because I'm like, they're always what I flash to when yeah. I, I, so a lot of times in sobriety, we say, play the tape forward. It's something I do all the time. It happens in a split second. If I have a craving, see a bottle of alcohol, I play the tape forward. Mm-hmm. I think of what I'm going to lose. And it's always my kids. I'm like, they're way too, like, they are my everything. And I, it's just thought of not having them is kills me. Absolutely. Yes, I guess. um, So what's important to me, I mean, right now is especially what I'm, what I'm doing and connecting with the women um, in my courses and the work and pain, just sharing your experience and seeing someone's spark come back is so, there's no other feeling like it when you see someone come, go from crying and feeling hopeless and sad because I, you and I probably both know, like I've been there mm-hmm. and I, I felt like I didn't, there wasn't any more to life and then come and, and, you know, in over the course of weeks come in, like they're laughing and they're, I, they're so excited for this new opportunity. And I think that's, what's really most important is, is having guiding more women to kind of see that within themselves and that they have that they just have alcohol holding them back and also the importance of taking care of yourself of taking care of myself of balance you know you always hear that balance of uh really making sure i'm fueling my body and my mind with good things and also giving myself breaks and and me time and and just doing things that really honestly, take care of yourself um, and looking for new opportunities and ways to kind of do that, uh, I think is, is really important to me is the health aspect mm-hmm. of brain health. Um, I'm really into brain health right now and studying the brain and things like that. So. And all of this know. would totally be possible if you were still drinking, right? Absolutely. <laughs> no, I mean, it's crazy. If you think about it, I mean, I was, am a completely different person than I was 10 years ago, than I was, you know, five years ago. The growth that has taken place um, mentally is, from the girl I went 10 years ago to today, completely different. And I had no idea that that was even possible. And I only gained that courage from seeing other people do it. Like, well, if they can do it and turn their lives around, Maybe I can too. And I can't say I'm going to, my life is going to be perfect or I can make things right, but at least I'm not hurting myself anymore. And those I love Um, because I had a lot of stuff to clean up. I had to gain that trust back 
and it wasn't easy and it didn't take, it wasn't quick. So, yeah. um, and the example you're setting for your children. Absolutely. You I think, know. I mean, that is so important because my son's eight, he's starting mm-hmm. to see and notice things. Um, I was wearing a, I think it was sober is cool t-shirt. And he's like, mom, what is sober? And I said, oh, that's someone that doesn't drink alcohol. And he said, oh, so like beer. So he knows what that is. I've, we've never talked about this, right? Yeah. But I'm not going to push this on him. But like you said, setting that good example, I'm not going to push it on someone, but I also, I can be an example of a parent figure that doesn't choose to put that into her body and that you don't need that to live a healthy, enjoyable, fun life. Mm -hmm. And so he said, oh, okay. So like I see dad having a beer sometimes. So that's it. I'm like, yeah. So that's someone who doesn't do that. And that's all I did. And so just being, having, uh, starting that conversations, having that curiosity without being like alcohol bad and never drink it, but also, Hey, I know you're probably going to experiment. But also as someone who's been through it, this is the stuff that I know right. um, and how to help guide them. Cause that is a fear of them kind of going down that path, but also as motivation to continue what we're doing is making sobriety more normalized. Mm-hmm. So when they get to that age, cause he's eight. So what in like eight years, seven, Oh, that's scary to think about I know. seven years as we're starting to shift the conversation and more information is starting to come out, he'll be in a better place to kind of analyze and have the facts available to him of, okay, I know what alcohol does. And yes, my friends may be doing it. Is this something I want to try? Right. And now I think just people being informed of what exactly and the risks that are involved, I think mm-hmm. that's what I never knew was the risk of how addictive it could be, how socially acceptable it was, but how dangerous it can become because it forms a habit. If you use it, especially for stress, for a traumatic event, for sadness, if you use it in those ways, which I think a lot of us have these past couple of years in the pandemic, pandemic drinking, it's, it's a big, big problem. And what I want to shift is not putting the blame on the person so much and just having some grace and, grace and compassion, not saying that you're a bad person. If you chose to do this and now you kind of rely on it, mm-hmm. that it's just because of if we take a step back and kind of look at how it all came about, you were just doing the best you could with the tools that you have with the place that you were in. But exactly. there's a way to get out of it. And there's tools to get out of it. It's not the end of the world. You can choose and be okay without it. But a lot of times you just need some guidance of how to do that and how to practice and get through feeling emotions in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. And that no emotion is a bad emotion. We can feel sadness. I was feeling off two days ago and yesterday. And I said, it's okay if I'm feeling off. It's okay if I'm tired. Yeah. I don't need to try to fix it or have more caffeine or make things better. I can just be okay with being not myself right now. Yeah. And I think, yeah. So looking out for their generation of hope of, I we're on the tip of it, but switching that conversation of our mindset towards alcohol Mm -hmm. and how we view alcohol and maybe with the new pair of glasses. Absolutely. 
And I just want to point out too, I love, I love the approach that you took in responding to, to what he pointed out because I have a 10 year old son and Mm. he has pointed out dad drinking beer too. And he knows mommy doesn't drink. And I think there's that fine line where, you know, you don't want to make dad look bad. You know, if that makes sense, like you want to make sure that you enter that conversation with grace and, you know, make sure that you just point out, well, this is what alcohol is, or this is what it can do, you know, and just kind of make sure that you don't tiptoe around it. And also don't, like I say, is any of this making sense? Like bash on dad, you know, you want to make sure that you show, like you said, more options, you know, get to a point where, Hey, some people drink, some people don't, you know, and get Mm -hmm. to that point. Yeah. And I think especially exactly of normalizing Mm -hmm. both ways exactly of not drinker, non-drinkers, just like non-smokers and smokers, mm-hmm. non-drinkers and drinkers. And, it, you know, he can have a beer once in a while, but that's his decision. But also right. they can see you going to a party, having whatever drink you're going to be having or pausing. They could see me all the time, quite honestly, <laughs> pausing and taking a deep breath. Like, they're like, uh, what's mom doing and mom's just calming <laughs> herself down so I don't yell uh-huh. you know they see me in uh practicing these things and you don't know if they're picking up but more than not they are because they're they just little sponges are. yeah so I think like you said just being that positive example not bashing anyone but yeah. having both options be available and being open to the conversation when they're ready to have it mm-hmm. of this is it here's all of the whatever questions you have, I'm an open book. I can tell my experience. And then you're, you're um, apt to make your own decisions when that time comes. Exactly. Exactly. And because we know if we say the wrong thing, which, you know, it happens, but these children will repeat whatever you said in an instant. Oh, <laughs> so yes. I want to be very careful that I don't point out someone smoking on the street and be disgusting. Oh, don't ever do that. Because Lord knows if we walk on the street and we pass someone smoking, they're not even going to take a breath before they shout something. (laughs) I don't know if your kids are that way. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And people, you know, people are, they can make their own thing. You know, Mm -hmm. let people be, do that. And we can't control other people. We can only control ourselves. And if you want to create change, change yourself. Exactly. And how are you? And that's why I started wearing like sober t-shirts recently. Cause I'm like, Hey, you know, I don't know. I just, I'm proud of this choice. Yeah. And if there's going to be all these t-shirts about drinking wine, why can't I just, I'm not trying to shove it in your face. I'm just saying maybe that would spark a conversation with totally. someone and why not own it? I love so. that. You might've inspired me to wear one more. And it's yeah. nerve wracking Yeah. as someone who's nine years sober. I'm like, I wore one to a fair last weekend and I shit you not. It was right in front of the beer garden, the bathrooms. And so every because t- I go to the bathroom <laughs> a lot. So I'm with my kids. I wear, I'm wearing a normalized sobriety shirt. I don't even know if they can read it, but sure. every time I'd have to go to the bathroom, I pass everybody drinking beer. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, on my way. And, but I was like, screw it. I'm standing tall and. It's not like you're shoving it in someone's face, just like them wearing a beer shirt is not shoving it in my face. They're just right. standing up for what they like. And I can stand up for what I like. And you have no idea 
who that might yeah. need to hear it. Um, or just setting the stage and normalizing not drinking. Yeah. And that that's okay. It's like we're cheering for our team. It's our team. Well, and our why team not? Shirt. You're why not, not putting this toxic substance drug into your body. Why not be like, hell yeah, I'm not mm -hmm. freaking doing that. And I'm going to a fair and I'm mothering and I'm not drinking. Like yeah. that should be something that I shouldn't be scared to disclose. It's just, yeah. uh, there's this, this, uh, hesitation. And I, I completely understand because I lived in the sober closet for four years. So, uh, I just think when people feel ready, if we want to start breaking down that stigma, it's okay to start that conversation and to own the choice, own this choice and embrace that choice yeah. because it's part of who you are. And in no way is making a positive choice for your life, something that you should hide yeah. and not something that you should uh, promote at, at the same time. It's just saying, I'm a non-drinker. Mm -hmm. Or I don't drink alcohol because I don't like the way it makes me feel. Okay, great. Yeah, move on. Move on. Yeah. It's all good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that so much. Um, I'm going to have to do some shopping after we we sign off and get some new shirts. Yes. <laughs> but, um, I would love, wrapping up, I have about, a, you know, two more questions for yeah. you. But looking forward, I would love to know what's next. What's, what's next? on your list? What else are you doing? Well, by the time this airs, I will be full-time sober coaching. So that is really exciting. I'm putting my two weeks in in two weeks. Uh, I've always had a job. So I'm putting my heart and soul into sober coaching. So that's really, really exciting for me. Um, and launching more courses. Uh, so I will be hosting a 75 sober in October in October, beginning of October. And what this is, is a play of 75 hard. If you've heard of that with Andy Frisella, yeah. it's going to be based on sobriety. So it's not going to be like you do two workouts a day, drink a gallon <laughs> of water, all of that stuff, but it's going to be kind of like that, but for sobriety of leading you up to Christmas time of number one, obviously staying sober, drinking water, moving your body, doing gratitude, checking into a group. So you feel better. And when I was talking about in the beginning of our conversation of starting these things now, mm -hmm. so just think about where you're going to be at Christmas time mentally going into a family celebration of, I have the tools ready because I've been doing the preseason. And so that's my whole intention of getting together as a group, starting these really good practices to keep you sober, coaching you on that. And then you're going to be really in a great mindset heading into Christmas and New Year's and the start of the new year. Yeah. Um, so I have that coming up. Um, private coaching, of course, and some really great things. I have a retreat um, for the women in my group coming up in October, which I'm really excited about. We rented oh, this fun. really nice house with a pontoon and we might go to a sober bar because that's what we, after spending, you know, 12 weeks together, we said, we really want to get together in person. So I'm going to have one of my uh, clients do a workout class. She's a fitness instructor. We're going to make mocktails. We're going to have matching pajama pants and mocktail cups. And we're just going to really learn how to have fun sober and mm -hmm. just really connect. And uh, I think that's the main thing. So yeah, lots of things on the horizon, which I'm really excited about as I, my mind is brainstorming. Um, but if you want to learn more, you can go to my website. It 
is livingzeroproof.com or go to my Instagram page at Jen Lee Hurst. But that will be changing to Lighthouse Sobriety um, in the next couple of weeks. So Yay. one of those two, you'll be able to uh, to access. And I'll coming. have all of that in the show notes. I'll make sure that everything is is updated to what is current. Um, Perfect. That all sounds magical. Oh my gosh, the retreat. Oh God. And I'm just thinking, and now we're talking about, <laughs> what's so crazy. Now we're talking about getting lighthouse tattoos. And I'm like, okay, well, let's not, you know, maybe, but like <laughs> where else, like other retreats of like some really cool places of, you know, what about like Disneyland or yeah. um we were talking about going to Nashville. We thought we'd start simple, be in the beginning of going to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, okay. which is like a central location. But, you know, why not have these a few times a year and we just get together and have yeah. some sober fun and connect? Um, so, yeah, more of those to so come. Fun. And there's yeah. so many options now. I mean, I feel like I have been scrolling through and I'm seeing these types of groups pop up everywhere. I mean, like little retreats mm -hmm. where it's sober hiking, you know, getting away for the weekend and going on these amazing hikes and yeah. just connecting with your community. Yeah. So yeah, I feel, I feel very lucky that we are in this time where there are just amazing things popping up left and right. So, Absolutely. And so more exciting. and more people are getting comfortable sharing. I mean, more and more celebrities are coming out, mm -hmm. more and more alcohol free options are coming out. I mean, this stuff didn't, it was like a duels mm -hmm. when I was back in the, you know, in, 10 years ago. And so there's just, yeah. it is an exciting time to start questioning your relationship with alcohol because there's so many more options. There's going to be so many more options as yeah. we go along and just think we're heading into dry January too, which is a big, big mm -hmm. thing too. I mean, every single month is a big, is a great time to, to go alcohol-free. There's always something sober September, sober October, yeah. dry alcohol-free August, like all of these. But um, I think whenever there's never going to be a right time. It's whenever you want, you're kind of sick and tired of being sick and tired. And when mm -hmm. do you want to start feeling good? Why put off feeling good? Mm -hmm. um, knowing that there's always going to be an event. There's always going to be a holiday. There's always going to be something, uh, but you just got to start and then go mm -hmm. from there and get in a community. Like you were, like we were talking about getting a community of other people that are doing the same. So you realize you're not alone in this. Yep. Yep. Big things. Mm -hmm. And I think you nailed it. I mean, the support is just getting stronger and stronger. So yeah. why not? Why not start now? Absolutely. All right, my love. Well, my last question is one of my favorites, but mm. to the one person or many that are listening right now and feeling inspired to make a change, what advice would you give them? Mm. Well, number one, maybe I have a few, like number one, keep the labels out of it. You know, you don't have to question or be an alcoholic to try it going alcohol free. You can just do it simply because you want to try what living alcohol free looks like for 30 days. So keep the labels out of it. And also know that you don't have to hit rock bottom to make a change. You don't have to lose a lot of things like myself in order to turn things around. You can simply get off the sinking ship early before it goes down that way to start questioning it. But I think most importantly, it's nothing to be ashamed about. There's nothing wrong with you. I thought for so often there was something wrong with me. Um, and it's nothing to be ashamed about being addicted to an addictive drug. And also that it's okay to be uncomfortable. 
It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel anxious. It's okay to feel awkward at a party. That's totally normal. That's why a lot of people have a drink. That's why they have social hour because people feel awkward. It's awkward. If you think about kids, if you think of like in those first 10 to 20 minutes, they're always a little shy. Like even it's with their cousins. And then all of a sudden within 20 minutes, they're like best friends. They're running around like playing chase and then they're crying because you got to leave. It's kind of like, think about it as adults too. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a little awkward in the beginning, but you don't need to fix your feelings. You can just sit with them and process them in a different way of deep breathing, of drinking something warm, of moving your body, of all these things to help you release emotions. But no matter what you're feeling, you don't have to drink over it. Amen. So, so true. Well, Jen, this was wonderful. Thank you so, so much. I will have all of the ways to get in touch with you in the show notes. And I'm just so proud of you and honored to be walking this, uh, this path with you. It's so exciting seeing all the good things that can come when you choose just to put the drink down. Absolutely. And I love to see what you're putting out as well for the sober community. What, when you remove that roadblock, literally anything's possible. Well, thank you again for being here. And I hope you just have the best day. Thank you, Jen. Thank you so much. If you'd like to learn more about the show or make a donation, you can head over to decidedlydry.com. If you enjoy the show, the best way to support it is to subscribe and to leave an awesome rating or review over on Apple Podcasts. It's sure been a treat spending this time with you. And just remember, if the only thing you did today was stay sober, you are winning. I'll see you next time.